studies have shown that just having one supportive person in your life can prevent so much, can really be the defining moment of if something's going to have lasting adverse traumatic effects, having one supportive person. So why not be that supportive person? Rita Johnson is a coach with a mission to create brave spaces to heal. In addition to life coaching, trauma therapy, and speaking events, Rita also facilitates trauma-smart stress management workshops, retreats, and anti-racism training. Welcome to The Safe Haven. I'm your host, Amanda Lytle. The Safe Haven offers a collection of conversations about life's challenges and the pivots we make in order to keep moving forward. Rita's life experiences, her role as a mom, and personal health issues, including having her body start to shut down completely from stress, have strengthened the lenses of access she's able to bring into the brave spaces she's creating to help others heal. In this incredible conversation, Rita shares numerous life pivots and events that have shaped who she is and why she does the work she does. We talk about the stuff we carry emotionally that keeps us from our goals, the really toxic patterns in our society that we fall into, and honoring intuition. Let's jump in. Recognizing that you have been through a lot and that you have had a lot of life pivots, if I was to ask you, Rita, what are some of your biggest life pivots? What would they be? Um, going through financial ruin, losing everything and having to rebuild, moving across the country, uh, working through childhood stuff and trauma, working through social trauma. I mean, so many. Uh, my experience as a brown-bodied female being pregnant, going through the healthcare system, that whole entire pregnancy process. Gosh, I mean, I could go on and on and on. There are so many, so many. Yeah. Recognizing that through a lot of these life pivots and these life events, there was something quite significant as well that had taken you from the banking and finances work that you used to do into the incredible work that you're doing now, coaching. Are you able to elaborate a bit on that for us? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got, in short, sick and tired of being sick and tired. Uh, physically, my body started to shut down. I ended up uh, having to leave work one day. And then on my way home, I pulled into the emergency room and was hospitalized. They had checked me in for a week and ran all these tests. And I'm, literally, my body was shutting down. Pancreas, gallbladder, kidneys, and it was from stress was all from stress. My daughter was almost two. And the doctors came in after a week to discharge me and, and gave me referrals to see specialists because all the tests were fine. And that's when we really figured out that it was stress. And he said, you know, Mrs. Johnston, if you don't change your lifestyle, you will not make it to see your daughter turn two, which for me was a huge wake up call. I have chronic illnesses and just Trouble getting pregnant, carrying full term was very risky. And so to be told I might not make it to see her turn two, uh, that was a wake up call and just really wanting to heal the stress and also noticing that I had been ignoring signs 
that my body had been giving me, noticing that my body was responding to certain people, certain situations in certain ways. And even though mentally I would tell myself one thing, it was like I had no control over my physiological response. So just kind of all of these things really led me to wanting to know just more. Why am I responding this way? Or, you know, what were some of the decisions that caused me to say yes when I really wanted to say no? You know, what is this my stuff? And is this really my belief? And what do I want in life? And and so I just had to step off of the hamster wheel and me getting sick, unfortunately, fortunately, was that opportunity for me to to do so, to step off of this wheel of life, really sit and reflect. And so that led me to doing Reiki healing work, which I still do. And it's amazing. And I just kept thinking there's something else, there's something else, there's something else, which led me to the book, The Body Keeps Score, which led me to studying somatic experiencing in 2015. Uh, I got into the program in 2018. And for me, it was like, this is it. This is it. Um, as I was getting myself healthy, I was also doing wellness coaching for others and had started to connect the dots. It wasn't always about the exercise program or the food. Sometimes it was about the stuff that we are carrying emotionally that keeps us from our goals. And, and then I started to notice patterns of trauma and oppression and just all of these things. So that was kind of all of the dots that led me to stepping into life coaching and healing and trauma work. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm curious about when you're, you're okay, so you're hospitalized. Mm-hmm. What is the timeline between, did you go back to work at that point or did you basically have to quit and then jump back? Like, how did that go? So I was hospitalized for a week. And then I was home on bed rest for two more weeks and then went back to work. And within a month, I had put my two weeks notice in. And I remember sitting in my office, calling my mom, crying, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. This was something that I had wanted to do since I was little. Um, Since I could barely peek over the banking counter, I was like, I want to do that. And I didn't have a backup plan, but I just knew I could not, I could not do this. So after the week hospitalization, two weeks on bed rest, and then I went back to work for about a month. Okay. I love that you just said that you called your mom and that this was something that you, it would have been a hard decision to to make and that you'd have to kind of process this. Because my question was going to be, how did making that decision and saying it out loud, actually executing it feel? Scary as hell. It was probably one of the most scariest things I've done aside from moving across the country. It was really scary. I was married. I didn't know how my husband was going to respond. He didn't really understand his work dynamic was different. His wasn't affecting him in the same way that mine was. So just that having that really uncomfortable, tough conversation was scary. Having a mortgage to pay, having Mm -hmm. a child to take care of. I didn't have a backup plan. And I also was in a position where I really, I had to leave. I had to leave. Mm -hmm. Interesting that you say that. I had a conversation the other day with Jenny J from Just Ask Jenny. If you have Instagram, she's great. And we were talking about life pivots and life decisions that we have to make out of necessity versus survival, 
right? And it sounds like in this case, it was definitely survival. Like your body was shutting down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interestingly enough, Amanda, for me in hindsight, I've had to make these decisions out of survival. And in the moment, I didn't even realize it was out of survival. What was it that looking back made you realize, oh my gosh, like when did that awareness come? I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I think it's been a progressive awareness just over the years, looking back, reflecting on that. There's been constant awareness. I, I couldn't pinpoint the exact moment, but yeah, progressively. Because making a decision like leaving your job or in, you've had other major things happen in your life where you've had to make these decisions, you'd have to honor your intuition. Do you still feel like your intuition really plays into the decisions that you make daily? So much, so much. And there are times when I try to ignore it. And then those are the times that I find myself in the situation like I was, where it just persists and it gets so bad to the point where I can no longer ignore it. But definitely the intuition is there. Mm -hmm. Pre-recording, you said something so beautiful that I wrote down and it was talking about a personal lens of access and then with your perspective and your ability to help and to advocate for children through mental health and through healing. Can you share a little bit more about that? Because the lens of access with which you bring to a healing space, I admire so much. Mm, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I didn't even realize that that I had that but I would constantly be in situations or conversations with people. And, and I've been like this since I was a little kid. It's like, well, I have questions about that. Not everyone can do that or not everyone can, can have access to that. So I constantly see that in conversations um, as a volunteer in the school system, as a parent in the school system, just navigating the world, different laws. Uh, just It's just one of those things that I look at and I always wonder, well, who does have access to? And I think a part of it is just my personal lived experiences, navigating spaces, navigating systems. And also I think a part of it is just the work that I do and the people that I get to come into contact with, the stories that I get to hear, you know, the space that people allow me to have in their life as I walk with them through this journey, you know, I, I don't take lightly the things that get shared and, and it really does shape how I view things. Mm. I was going to ask too, about those conversations and those events and those situations that you've been in, whether it's as a parent or as a volunteer and how working with young kids, even how that informs your practice as a coach. Yeah. Yeah. You know, It took being a mother and navigating the public school system, which my husband and I, we had wanted to homeschool. It was something that we had talked about when we were trying to get pregnant. And then life happened really fast. And she went to kindergarten back east before we moved um, here to, to Seattle. So she went to public school and then we switched states and jumped back into public school And so there were a lot of experiences that she was having that I also had and being in a different space, you know, no longer being a child myself in the school system, being a parent, being a volunteer, some of these things that I saw, not just her go through, but other students, I thought, this makes me feel really yuck. This does not feel okay. This is not okay. I have a lot of questions are we taking into consideration the emotional needs of the children? 
what they have going on because there's so many factors. You know, I coach from a whole self perspective and a whole self approach and we can't compartmentalize. So if we are having issues at home, they're going to show up. And as children who don't always know how to handle their emotions, I deal with adults that don't always know how to handle their emotions. I don't always know how to handle mine. Mm -hmm. And so seeing some of the, the practices that go on in the school system that I recognize that I also had with my trauma work and, and this lens that I have, it's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. So that, I hope that answered your question. Mm, Big time, big time. Even because when you just said they don't know necessarily how to handle their emotions, people that you work with, adults don't, even you don't. I can also say that I don't, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I know how to handle my emotions at times. And so I feel like there, and so many conversations that I've been having recently have to do with that inner child and inner child work and turning inwards and understanding and talking to your young self about how it's going to be okay and that you are there and that you are loved and you are worthy. But imagine being able to establish those healthy connections and foundations with kids in a safe space at a school where they should be feeling holistically healthy but unfortunately it's not always the case. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, studies have shown that just having one supportive person in your life can prevent so much, can really be the defining moment of if something's going to have lasting adverse traumatic effects, having one supportive person. So why not be that supportive person? I had a pretty in-depth conversation the other day with a woman about how, as adults, if we're fortunate enough to have a job that gives us benefits, right, and that we can use that to seek therapy and counseling, why isn't that made readily available for kids that are Mm -hmm. dealing with traumas young in life, at early stages in their lives? Access tools and resources and acquire these skills to look after themselves. Personally, I believe we all should have access to it. Mm -hmm. Mental health Mm -hmm. is so important in our functioning in the world. Why do we not all have access to this, to, to resources? Exactly. Why is it only a select few in their job that gives it to them? And it has Mm -hmm. to be a rather like a rather well-to-do quote unquote, well-to-do job in order to acquire that or to have easy access to it. We should all have it. That actually, I feel like is a really nice segue into, I'll give a bit of background here. So I had listened, I was put on to you by Lorena and I was scrolling through old podcast episodes that you had from when you used to have a podcast. And there was one in particular that really got me and it was about safe versus brave spaces. And I remember thinking, okay, well, obviously, you know, I talk about how the safe haven is a safe space and I'm always looking to do better. I'm looking to really work from a place of love and also have a safe place for people to share. And my eyes were open. My heart was exploding in all of the right ways because I learned so much listening to that podcast. And I would love for you, because we can direct people to your podcast so that they can listen to it entirely, but I would love it if you and I could just talk a little bit about the difference between safe and brave spaces and why it is so important in the work that you do, but also in the work that I do, I'm happy to acknowledge this and hold Mm -hmm. myself accountable to that, for holding that space properly. 
Mm. So language is huge, right? And so I sort of differentiated between the two because we're in this culture of saying safe space, safe space. And I never really felt comfortable saying that because someone could say something in the room that's really triggering or activating and you no longer feel safe. And I have absolutely no control over that. No control over what someone might say or do. I especially don't know every individual's history. So offering safe space just never, I never really liked that language. And I was at a conference, I believe it was teaching for Social Justice Northwest. I believe that was the conference. And I was in a breakout room and there was a poem by um, something based Scott, I believe. I apologize. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it talked about holding brave space. And it's like, yes, brave space is about we're going to mess up. It's going to be sloppy. I may say or do something that that may trigger something for you. And I hope that you and I have built a relationship enough where you feel comfortable enough in some way to let me know so that I can repair the relationship. That to me is brave space. I can't promise that I'm going to be perfect. I can't promise I'm not going to say or do something, but I can promise that if you bring it to my attention, I'm willing to do the best that I can do. Brave space. Mm-hmm. Everything that you just said so beautifully there is what my biggest takeaway was. And I remember journaling about it after and thinking about how when it comes to holding, like you've said, safe space and safe spaces, holding safe spaces is absolutely everywhere. So when you were talking about brave spaces, that's why I, I literally had to sit down. My heart was racing. I was had to write about it. I paused the podcast a couple times to think about it and to reflect because so much of the intention and love with which I lead for this podcast and this platform, I know I'm going to mess up and I know that I'm going to say things incorrectly. It's not my intention, but I also will actively aim to do better. And I, I do work hard to do better, but I also will hold myself accountable to that and take the accountability and responsibility that comes with the messing up that comes along the way. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for that perspective. Oh, thank you. Thank you for for sharing and receiving. I think the more big conversations that we're having, and I feel like there's this collective unveiling in society about mental health and mental health awareness and emotions and actually really feeling and sitting in the shit, you know? And with that comes some really deep conversations. Mm-hmm. crucial conversation. So actually, I really admire, I had a conversation the other day um, as well, obviously podcast related, with a man named Phoenix. And he was talking about how he's leading his career in a completely different area right now. He's taking, putting pause on some coaching aspects and elements of his business so that he can go into social work so that he can actually deep dive into the conversations that he wants to have, but recognizes now that he's not equipped with the tools to do so. And the amount of respect that I have for that is incredible because he has this awareness to say, I really want to have this conversation with you, but I'm not equipped with the tools to do so. So I can listen, but I will not be able to, to respond. Mm-hmm. More people need to do that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Especially we're in such an age where you read an article and you're an expert, mm. right? Or, you know, because you write a couple of books and, and there's so, there's so much to it. I get labeled as a therapist quite a bit. And so I'm like, wait, wait, wait. 
I am not a therapist. And I, I want to make that very, very clear uh, because I get asked quite a bit to speak on, around mental health and, and on panels. And so it's like, I'm not coming at this from the lens of a therapist. I want to be clear. I do not have that knowledge and that skill mm-hmm. and that background. So, you know, please be aware. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you so much for this. Okay. I have my three safe haven style questions. You ready? Mm-hmm. What are you most proud of? Myself, my tenacity and grit through all of the things that I have been through and experienced. I'm still here. I'm pretty badass. Mm-hmm. And I'm just really proud of who I am and what I've overcome to be who I am. Mm-hmm. I cannot stop smiling. <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> um, okay, what would you like to be known for? Mm. Creating brave spaces for people to heal mm. and address the things that are keeping them from the life that they deserve, that they want. Mm-hmm. And if you had a message for everyone listening, what would it be? That you matter. You're so important. I spent 10 years of my life Uh, being suicidal. And I don't think that we realize how important that is for someone to really feel like they matter and that they have value and worth just because you are you. You don't have to give anything or offer anything. You are inherently worthy and you matter. Mm -hmm. Through all of these pivots and some of your darkest days, what is it that keeps you going? Faith belief that there's so much more if I can just hang on and get to the other side sometimes but just faith and belief that there is more Mm -hmm. Rita where can people find you online uh Instagram and Facebook is at rita.johnston and you can also find me on my website at ritajohnston.com that's r-e-i-t-a J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N.com. Thank you so much for today. Thank you, Amanda, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Rita, thank you so, so much from the bottom of my humongous heart for sharing with me on The Safe Haven today. You are such a beacon of light and I just appreciate your perspectives with everything and will be carrying the idea of brave spaces from now until forever, everywhere I go. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. I really appreciate you and look forward to staying in contact. To everyone listening, I recognize the privilege that comes with my platform and I am committed to creating the safest possible spaces, but definitely brave and inclusive spaces with intention. If this episode has hit you right in the heart or inspired you in any way, please screenshot the screen while you're listening, send it to your friends and share it in your Instagram stories. Please be sure to tag us at the Safe Haven Podcast so we can personally thank you for it. If you're able to write a review or leave a juicy five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify, that really helps this podcast grow. If today is the start of your journey into the depths of anti-racism, learning and unlearning of old ways, be kind to yourself. Try not to feel burdened by shame or guilt. Keep moving, keep growing, keep leading with love, and I will talk to you next week.